0: It's a very interesting uh, process because in learning how to write a sermon, you're not only learning something about sharing the faith, you're learning something about how people learn, about how people experience. You're learning something about yourself, and you're learning a lot about communication, all of which... When you get down to it, has it, it is eerily close to many of the themes in Scripture. Uh, real quick, I won't do this very often, but fast quiz: um, How did God create? He spoke. He
1: spoke,
0: spoke breathed. breathed. Yeah. He did breathe. You're right. There's the Holy Spirit. Yes. Uh, he spoke life into existence. Uh, And he breathed order into the life, and it's um, it's a. We were talking earlier about you know studying the Bible, and one of the fun things to do is to take seriously the first three verses of Genesis. Uh, In it, you get the core theology of the Bible: God, the creation, creating through the Word, which is Jesus, and breathing. Over the, over the deeps, bringing order to it, which is the Spirit. God, the creation, creating through the Word, which is Jesus, and breathing over the, over the deeps, bringing order to it, which is the Spirit. And uh, you can play with that for a long time. But we're going to talk about uh, telling stories uh, tonight and we'll move kind of fast. If you want to ask a question or raise a concern or argue, please do. At the end, if we have time, we'll, we'll open it up for that. The, uh, for more of that, um, there was a fella who was, one of the things that was most helpful to me when I was a young pastor coming, I was not a pastor, I was a seminary student and I, there was an older, older retired pastor in our church and I learned so much from him. And one day I preached a sermon that I just thought was spectacular. And um, that, was, that was a joke. Uh, I, I just thought it was wonderful. And, and really there were some people there that thought it was wonderful, but most of them, you could tell this when you talk, uh, it's kind of like a parent talking to kids. You can tell when you're getting through or not. You know, when they look at you like that, you're not getting through. Um, uh, and after it was over, I was talking to him, and um, and I said, "Do you have any advice for about that message?" He said, "Let me tell you about a fellow that went mountain climbing, and there was a mountain not far from his house, and a guide took him up to the mountain." And they went higher and higher, and they got up in the clouds. They got up in the trees. And the fellow that was being led, Uh, he was getting more and more confused and just didn't understand what was happening or where they were. He had nothing but questions. And then they got up to a certain point. The clouds parted. You could look through the trees. And he saw his house way down below in the valley. And he said, that's where I live. That's the point of the story. great stuff you are giving me, great theory. And by the way, this is true for parenting. This is true for an awful lot of communication, not just sermons. But at some point, if I'm with you, and if it's too much theory, uh, then I need, I need a story. I need something to, tell, to point out to me how that relates to where I live. And, and, and that's what we mean when we talk about stories. I think it's important to remember that humans are story-making creatures. We're the only mammals. Come on in. Come on in. Thank you. We were just telling stories about people lost in traffic. <laughs> That's another joke. Y'all don't have to laugh. I would, uh, the, the, um, but it's important to remember that humans are the only storytelling mammals around. Now, there are a lot of differences between humans and other mammals, but Uh, One of the underestimated ones is probably stories. We just naturally create stories. Welcome, Meredith. I I don't believe anything they were telling me about you. I think you're wonderful. And so that's, we're we're glad to have you, glad to see you. Um, uh, And they've been very kind to me so far. The uh, humans naturally create stories, Uh, children create stories. You tell them stories, of course, but then they start creating stories. And, uh, and of course, creating stories when, they want to, when they've done something wrong and want to avoid it, but they create stories all the time. Uh, in fact, uh, psychologists say that every, in every culture, children of a certain age, and I've forgotten what, uh, to, at, some, at some point, all kids start having nightmares. And there's a theory, nobody, you know, who who gets inside the head of a child. But the predominant theory about that is that children get furious at their parents. They need their parents. They depend upon their parents. They cannot live without their parents. Some level, they they know that. And so they can't express their anger. Now, ours did a pretty good job, i got to say but uh, in, in other words, they do express their anger. But they may not be able to express all of it, especially if it gets too point They don't know what to do with it. And so they dream and they externalize it and it turns into a story about a monster attacking them. We don't know if that's really true, although many psychologists will say it. It is, or or it's it's as close to the truth as we can do without getting into a two-year-old's mind. What we do know is that um, conspiracy theories are shared in every culture. And by conspiracy theories, I mean, if Lee Ann and I are friends and uh, she does something to hurt me and I haven't seen her in a while, and I try to reach out to her and it doesn't work and then maybe she does something else to hurt me, I start creating a narrative in my mind about what's going on in her mind that would make her do those things to me. Now, in fact, she could have just had an off day. She could have meant what what I took as harm for good. She could just be busy, I don't know but it is actually enormously difficult not to create a narrative around somebody's actions. Um, uh, uh, When when we look at the government doing something we don't like, or a political party doing something. Or aliens. Or uh, aliens, there you go, aliens, anything like that, or a child being ungrateful. We especially spend these with, uh, with negatives, but we also will spin them with, with, with positives. And uh, it is actually humanly very difficult not to create a story. We're told not to mind read, and yet we all have that tendency, and it takes a great deal of maturity and self-discipline not to read into somebody's actions, intentions that are not there. That's what I'm doing with this, and just making a point narratives are are huge in human existence and they are so big that the two primary ways in which we can learn uh, things quickly are a story or a song uh, if you teach me a song I'll remember it and if the ta- song is instructing me I can remember that um, I'm, I've forgotten how powerful this was except watching Meredith teach my grandkids, her kids. A lot of things using songs, we remember songs, but if you listen to it, most songs tell a story. And the same thing is true with just verbal stories. Um, I probably, when this is all over, you may forget everything else, but you'll remember that somebody goes walking up high on a mountain it really helps them to be able to look at, look down and say, that's where I live, and understand the point. When we tell a story, we are trying to help people get, get in touch with how all of this relates to where they live. Stories are the most memorable part of most communication, not all, I mean, not, not the only memorable, but it, they are very memorable, and that's how we put things together. When you think of stories, uh, it's helpful to remember kind of broad categories, broad categories. First is the parable. Jesus was a master at this, maybe the master at this. A parable is something that is not historically true, but it's humanly accurate. I'm going to go back to the illustration I began with. Uh, I have no idea whether a guy followed a mountain climber up to the mountain and looked down historically or literally and said, that's where I live. But it's humanly true. And so I remembered, I've remembered it since I was uh, uh, 23. And you'll tend to remember it. It's a parable. And of course, as I said, if you look at what Jesus is teaching, he did that a lot because he understood how memorable they were and how people could read themselves into it. The second is myth. When we talk about myth, M-Y-T-H, we're talking about something that isn't true. It's, it's kind of like a parable, but it's not, it's, it's designed, it, 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 it's designed to convey cosmic truths, not just a point about human nature or a point about this or that. It's designed to make people feel like they understand the cosmos better, uh, they understand dynamics around them better, themselves better, and th- to convey truths about that. Um, we've all heard about pagan myths and things like that in the ancient world, um, but the the uh, you know there there the myth could operate in a very very, very simple way. Um, it's uh, the, 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 um, Texans we have the myth of the Alamo and uh, it, it's a great story about a small group of people standing against this larger one it's a great story and there's a lot of truth in it but there's also a lot of exaggeration and other stuff that's gotten written, written into it and um, and in fact, we know from the way the bodies were sorted that about thirty of the Texans tried to get out. <laughs> they didn't all die to the last; they were all killed, but they tried to get out. Well, it doesn't work with the myth. It does work with human nature. And frankly, if it, my son were there, I'd say, "Get out! You're gonna lose!" You know. It, with uh, never mind, we won't go there. But the um, uh, but but myth is is usually a blend of things that could be fact and could be just um, cosmic explanation or illustration or something like that. It depends on the myth and it depends on the circumstance. But it has a different feel than parable. Parable is designed to help you learn something specific. Myth usually operates on a number of different levels. And then there's history. Um, now, I'm, sp- listen, I'm just specifically talking about stories. The Bible has a lot of different literature, the Psalms, uh, the, 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 the songs, the Proverbs advice. But the other kind of uh, story that you come across is history. And history has a different feel. Um, in the Bible, Uh, biblical historians and theologians refer to Genesis 12 as the beginning of the historical books of the Bible and unlike other religions that will either um, offer books of advice and how to or books of uh, clearly mythic I mean somebody's coming out of somebody's head and being born out of you know the, the, um, uh, the, the, the Bible, as you read it through, the historical sections of the Bible, and most of the New Testament is either historical or preaching. Uh, much of the Old Testament is historical. As you read it through, it has the inconvenient um, uh, um, rea- reality of history. Uh, for example, Jesus... Heals a a uh, a a crazy man, an insane man. He throws the demons into a herd of pigs. The pigs go running off a cliff and drown. It's just a side note. Pigs go off. I I read historically theologians trying to read in now what was what was the significance of the pigs. Well, actually, maybe they just all drowned. You know, uh, it really the it, hist- it, when you when you look at history and the reality of your life and mine. There's a lot of little details there that somebody could really study and kind of blow up big, but maybe you know th- they're just little details. Things going on because we're trying to tell the story, um, and you can go through all, all you know, that all the way through and uh, history. Uh, real history doesn't fit into a a sales job. And by that I mean, if you were going to try to sell the Jesus myth, if it were a myth and you'd made it up and you were gonna try to sell it, you would not have him on the cross saying, Father, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That doesn't, it's not marketable. It may ultimately make sense after people pray about it, get to know the risen Jesus, you know, okay. But the same thing is true with Abram. If you're going to come up with a people of Israel, why in the world would you have, and, and tell everybody how wonderful they are, why would you, in the world would you have Abram and Sarai go to Egypt? Abram gets threatened for his life by the Pharaoh, and so Abram tries to give his wife away to save his own life. That's not exactly a courageous act. You know, doesn't make him doesn't make him seem noble. History's full of a lot of stuff that just doesn't really fit. It's like square pegs in a, in round holes, and and that's real, and that's true with your life and mine. There's a lot of stuff that if you're going to tell a grand narrative, wouldn't automatically fit. But it's real, and so it's there. I don't need to spend much more time on that, except to point out if you're telling a story in your sermon or in any kind of communication, you want to be clear with yourself what you're doing. Are you repeating a grand mythic narrative about the company? Whenever somebody used to be, they jo- they joined Fritos, Frito Lays. They would be indoctrinated and they would be given a grand, mi- grand story about how A guy out of West Texas almost killed himself delivering fritos during a snowstorm. It was true, but by the time they got through telling it, there wasn't, (laughs) there was only that much truth in it, but everybody knew that. And frito, actually, I didn't realize this, frito made its name early on, delivering when nobody else would deliver. So if there was a storm or something, you'd go to the store, couldn't get potato chips, but you could get fritos, and they, they blossom. Are you, are you giving a grand narrative? Are you giving a parable? Are you sharing history? If you're sharing history, which a lot of the stories will be, you then need to consider um, altering it without uh, lying about its point. Um, and this is where it begins to get... Significant. You you always, you never, you you never tell a story just because it's a good story. I collected stories. I was a pastor for forty years, a working pastor for forty years. I collected stories. When I retired, I had uh, drawers full of stories I never got to use, and I hated it. I tried. In fact, I tried. My my dear wife put up with so much. I'd be working on a sermon and I'd have like a story I just really want to tell. And she'd say, that has nothing to do with your sermon. i said, oh, okay, but it's a great story. The, um, uh, the story is always in the service of your point. What point are you trying to make? Um, and you wanna make sure that it doesn't go against your point, right? Uh, if your daughter is having trouble keeping curfew It's probably not the time for you to sit back and share a lot of fun memories you have about when you broke curfew, unless you wanted to do it more often. Uh, You probably want to tell a story that kind of moves more in the direction of what you're trying to communicate to her. Um, So you you may want to think about the story you're telling. If you're If you're preaching a sermon or giving a witness, you wanna tell a story that makes the point you're trying to share with others. In the same way, uh, once you have the story you wanna tell, um, remember all the inconvenient, sharp-edged details in any story that may actually not be helpful. Going back to the one I started with, uh, I, I was uh, I was a seminarian. This was an older pastor telling me this. We had a long conversation before he told me that he himself was a grand old man, but he was having trouble dealing with his own coming death. Uh, his uh, I can give you. 15 really kind of interesting things about that interaction that would have nothing to do with climbing a mountain and saying, that's where I live, are you with me? So as I thought about it today, I I remembered him, this wonderful guy, I remembered him, I remembered his wife, I remembered how he told stories about during the Depression People would come over to their house to visit, and nobody had any money. But his wife could toast, the, would toast the bread, put um, uh, butter on it, and sprinkle sugar on the on the toast. And he said it was as sweet as the nicest thing he ever had. Um, I, I always remember that. I, it was touched me. It was not relevant to the story. When you, you, when, if you, when you start telling a story, you have to be willing to uh, sand away the hard edges of reality that don't automatically make your point without losing your point and without lying. Now, people will ask me, um, you know, do you ever alter stories or change them or make them up? If I make them up, it becomes a parable and I tell it like that. I don't make up stories. But I will change stories. And it's important to change stories for a couple of reasons. One, for me, I never tell a story where I'm the hero. I, right, never, almost never. Um, I was driving Uh, 10 years ago I was driving down 610 and watched this lady just have a blowout in front of me so I stopped to make sure she was okay she didn't have a phone mine was dead and so I changed her tire and whatever I might have done with that I wound up telling it in church because when I got through she said aren't you the guy that I see on on television every now and then preaching preaching and I said, uh, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, I probably am. My name's Steve Wendy, and she said, you actually believe what you say, don't you? I said, uh, yes, ma'am, I hope I do. She said, I'm gonna listen next Sunday. I, I know she said, I'm gonna watch next Sunday. I watch every Sunday, but next Sunday I'm gonna listen. <laughs> <laughs> That's a
1: great story.
0: I told it in church. Because I was just doing what I thought I should do. And the impact, I told it for the impact it had on her. That's a whole different thing if I'm talking about serving others and I say, let me tell you, she was it and I changed the tire. Well, you know, so what? <laughs> I don't need to hear you puff yourself up. I always, I, 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 will, I will never, I, I will change stories where somebody else is doing or saying something that actually maybe I did, uh, if that puts the spotlight on them. Uh, If it it would otherwise put the spotlight on me. People don't need to hear me be a hero. Um, That's a second thing about it. I think it helps to figure out the story you're telling so that you and your listener are identifying together. This is powerful with, in the workplace, this is powerful with, um, with kids. You know, it's one thing if I say, you know, you ought to do this, or here's a story about how I did it, and it all worked out that great. But it's different if I say, you know, I've been there, and it's hard. It's hard. Let me tell you, I, I, it was very difficult, and then somebody gave me some advice and helped me do something. Uh, they tend to listen better. And that's true in the workplace, that's true in family, that's true uh, in sermons. Uh, You want to try to set it up so that you are identifying with them so that they will receive this as shared communication. Uh, We were watching a, uh, we were worshiping in a church in Colorado years ago, years ago. And this uh, pastor stood up and he had something challenging to say to the people. And so he said, "Um, well, the prophet Jeremiah was, uh, was called by God to speak the truth to the people. And those godless sinners, he didn't call them godless sinners, but that was the implication. They rose up and they stoned him and they ran him out of town and they rejected him completely. And finally, you know, God sent judgment upon them. Well, I'm going to speak the truth to you. Well, what has he just done? He's put me in the position of the godless sinner. So if I think maybe he's wrong, well, that means I'm against God. And even if I think he's right, I don't like the fact that he's lifted himself up and put me down. Um, uh, Several years later, Karen and I were sitting in worship at a different church, and we had a pastor stand up. And he said, you know, something's happened, and I need to talk to you about it. Uh, and I was remembering the prophet Jeremiah, and that's why I remember this, because I, my, my antenna went up and said, what's he gonna do? He said, I was remembering the prophet Jeremiah and how Jeremiah uh, uh, didn't wanna answer a call from God. And he tried to avoid it, but God pulled him back in anyway. And finally, Jeremiah said, yes, send me, Lord, I'll do it. He said, and I'm not sure if this is a call from God or not. I think maybe it is. I think there's something I think we just need to talk about. I want to ask you to think with me about it and understand that I don't know any more than you, but maybe we can learn about it together. Wow, we were all ears because he's in it with us. Do you see what we're doing? The way you tell the story either encourages identification or not. The only other way I change stories is if they get overly complicated. Every one of us can overly complicate a story. Um, And that's not, I don't think that's changing the story. I think that's paring it down. Uh, There's a, my wife and I are members at First Methodist downtown. Uh, We enjoy worshiping here every now and then, um, but we don't think Meredith needs to see us every Sunday. And uh, and we love your congregation. Y'all are wonderful. Uh, and we're excited about what God is doing at Westminster. But we spent 15 years at First Methodist. We have lots of friends, you know, that's, we got ties there, and so we, we go there. That's, that's our church membership. Um, and there's this guy there, and he's wonderful. He really is wonderful. And he's got great stories to tell. And after worship, we'll, Karen and I will elbow each other watching people avoid him trying not to, because he can't tell a story in less than 15 minutes. And he's going to tell you everything. Actually, everything there is. Uh, are, we, are we connecting? So I don't think, I, I, the only time I'll really change a story is if I'm the hero and it throws an appropriate spotlight on me. Maybe what I'm saying is on everything else, I will pare it down. Make sure it's focused. make And, and, and now, If you're familiar with uh, uh, personnel profiles now and what they're doing, it's really cool. They're doing something they call um, 360 training. Some of y'all are in business, and there's, there's actually a more accurate definition or title for it. But basically, you get people that know their stuff, and they're good at what they... And they have something to say. But everybody in the business wants to kill them. Uh, they just can't do it well, you know, and they try to sell or they try to explain something or they try to manage or they try to, and it just doesn't work. And there are ways of teaching people to understand what others are feeling, what others are experiencing, how others perceive them. And interestingly, the first step in that is getting people to identify the person talking, what they are feeling. Because they are projecting that whether they realize it or not. And what they are feeling will trigger feelings in the other person. It's an interesting dynamic. Uh, People, you know, you've had good communicators and bad communicators since God made Adam and Eve, it's, um, uh, but but they're trying to study it and trying to, to systematize it a little bit. Um, w- w- with the, um, as you think about, as, as you think about everything we're saying now about the stories, the question is, what do I want to have happen in that person's life? What am I trying to communicate? And What am I feeling? Um, I discovered doing sermon preparation that I would work and work and work and it just sometimes would come and sometimes wouldn't. And when Meredith was growing up, my whole family prayed for it to to come faster, work faster, you know, because I'd be barricaded in the back room and they wanted to go do something. but I, I got to where I knew that I was on, I was tracking with what God wanted me to say or what the, the word God had for that day when I got excited. This is exciting. This is exciting. This can help people's lives. This helps my life. This is exciting about God. This, this is some, and this is something that might kind of cut a little bit uh, if I'm talking about this, that that it is, this forces me to think, rethink some of my behavior, some of my attitudes. Um, uh, but I get excitement, it can be helpful for you to try to figure out what am I feeling, and what is it I'm trying to connect with the other person. I'm kind of I'm beginning to repeat myself now, um, and, and we don't need to do that. We're going to, we're going to um, do a little uh, experiment in terms of, and it looks experiential, whatever it is, because I've found it helpful. Uh, um, and that is, in just a moment, uh, I'm gonna ask everybody here, here to pair up with somebody you may not know well or whatever, and tell a story, but a very particular story. Uh, one of the other things about storytelling is that there is enormous power in appropriate vulnerability. That's got to be appropriate vulnerability. Henry Nowen uh, was one of my favorite authors, and we had, it was privileged to study under him back in seminary back in the 70s. And he said, um, and everybody, he, he was talking one day, and he said, everybody wants to be authentic but what does it mean to be authentic? If you're feeling gritchy, does it mean to just be gritchy to everybody? If you got a lot you'd like to say, does it mean just vomiting words all over everybody? He said that to him, authenticity meant being yourself in a way sensitive to the occasion. And you can walk with that a long way. Being honestly myself, in a way sensitive to the occasion, because the and that means that I will be different selves in different occasions, which doesn't make me inauthentic. It makes me um, appropriately vulnerable without abusing all the dynamics going on around me. Uh, and there's power in that. Some of the best stories you ever hear, and I've heard Meredith tell a number. At Karen, my wife, was a, an amazing Bible study teacher. I've heard do it, her do it, um, uh, and good communicators know how to do it. Uh, and it's not really artificial; it's authentic, but done in a very specific way. It's when you are appropriately vulnerable and you're sharing something personal inside uh, it connects with the personal in other people
1: um,
0: in some interesting ways it, we're men, we're women you, you get a larger group you get different races you get, you get different ages but there are, there, are, there are dynamics there that are very intimate that other people may not have something exactly like, but it sends up echoes of situations within. Um, and the example I, I, I thought of today when I was thinking of this was I was on a youth mission trip. At First Church, we had a summer youth mission trip. And I would go every year. We had, actually, we had about three, but I would go just to the one that was uh, down in northern Mexico. And we'd be there a week. And, uh, and every night, they'd have this worship time with the kids, and there was a room, it was just packed with teenagers. And uh, I think it was the second or third night, and they were tired. And they were kind of skitsy, and they were, some of them were joking and whatever, and they were not listening to whatever the presentation was supposed to be. And I was kind of sympathizing with them because, you know, I was twice their age and I'd worked just as hard or harder, or three times their age. And I was, I'd be happy to go to bed right now. And, um, and how long is this gonna last? You got all these feelings going on and, and the kids weren't eager to go to bed, but they were eager to go out and do something fun. Uh, And so our youth director, who was Christine Jones, uh, who was phenomenal, uh, she's program director now at the church downtown. But Christine Jones saw what was happening, and, and and I watched her, and you could actually see her bow her head. She was saying a little prayer, and she just stood up and she said, let's all stop. I want to tell you about my God. And she talked about how she came to Jesus. And she talked about the ways in which God had moved in her life, how God had guided her, sometimes without her realizing she was being guided, usually, how he'd forgiven her, how he'd strengthened her. She talked 30 minutes, unprepared, just stories, memories, every one of them from the heart. You could have heard a pin drop every one of those skipsy teenagers was just like this. All of us tired sponsors who wish we could go to bed were like this, because we were all remembering our story. Similar experiences, or different experiences, but somehow they sent up an echo. Um, that's That's an extraordinary illustration, I realize. But uh, I think it's important to remember that at some level, when you preach, you are witnessing to your faith in the Jesus who has taken hold of your life and claimed you. And there is nothing as scary or as joyful. Um... Uh, so what I want to do is ask you to pair up with somebody you don't know. And I realize we have two dear folks who are Zooming with us, and, and I'm not sure what we should... Okay. Y'all might talk to each other then. I don't know. Meredith could, could work that out. Yeah, I can turn down the volume
1: so that it's not so loud on these
0: Okay. What I want to do, here's what I want you to do. Link up with somebody you don't know well. And... Uh, Share, tell them how you came to Christ, an experience you've had being surprised by Christ. Uh, Any moment that you would, that the Holy Spirit puts on your heart right now, of you be getting close to Jesus, or Jesus getting close to you. And if you can't think of anything, that's okay. Say that. But probably if you're in this room, you've had at least one experience of God knocking on the door. Uh, Or God being close. Please tell that story. And then listen while the other person tells his or her story. And... Take fifteen minutes. You had to describe the conversations you just had, speaking or listening, uh, in a couple of words. What would you say? Uplifting.
1: Uplifting.
0: Yeah. Uplifting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Heartfelt. Heartfelt. Yeah. Confirming. Confirming.
1: Yeah. We're all. We've all got very similar experiences. We're not all that different. Honest. Excellent. Faith building.
0: Faith building. I like that. Hopeful. Hopeful.
1: My irrefutable. again in the fellowship. I can, I can
0: open up without judgment, and um, and I can listen to my heart. Do that.
1: I like that. I'm just going to move one of these speakers closer over here so we can hear more.
0: On. <coughs> uh, you know, I could be repeating these. I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's we'll, fine. We'll, we'll try go. to.
1: The, one over here,
0: one over here. Uh, the 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 last was a uh, um, uh, trusting and uh, feeling like you could actually share um, uh, honestly. I, I'm I'm putting this in my words. So I apologize. Um, the um, just a, a a footnote or not a footnote, but just a point. Um, when uh, when you think about using stories in uh, more formal communication, um, a sermon, or you're talking to somebody, a group maybe you prepared something for, um, Something I learned decades ago was, I might write out transitions, I might write out scriptures, I might memorize a lot stories. I needed to practice, (coughs) never read. Stories don't work read. (coughs) For this exact reason. There is a sense of the heart that comes through a story that's well told. There is an exception to that. Every now and then you'll have somebody stand up who is horribly timid. Mm, That's a bad adjective. Who is very timid and is going to read every word. Everybody cuts that person slack. That's okay. You're going to read. But in general, if you don't know your story, uh, I don't know what to do with it. And uh, and if I if I've memorized it too closely, that I don't tell it in a in in an alive way, when you when you speak, you want to be alert to your listener, so that will shape the way you put your words together. But in general, I never read the stories. I will read transitions sometimes. I will read uh, quotes a lot. But I never read stories and I, I never memorize them. I, I know them, I've told them a couple of times getting ready for the, for the sermon. Um, but it, 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 Because what you're trying to connect is heart to heart. Even on the funny ones, the silly ones. How often do you um, find
1: yourself using humor?
0: Humor? a lot, uh, but that part of that's me. Um, I um, um, Humor can be good to uh, connect with, with people. Um, I've only heard him speak a couple of times, but Joel Osteen is famous for having you know the, the sermons are basically it's it's, um, it's a kind of Rotary Club encouragement, and and it's good Rotary Club encouragement it is. Uh, but what everybody remembers is he starts every one of them with a joke, and the joke often has nothing to do with what he's saying. He's going to say. But people will come just to hear the joke. Charles Allen was good at that also. Charles Allen was the pastor at First Methodist Houston back in the uh, 60s and 70s. And uh, he used to pack the church. Now the city was smaller, everybody went downtown. It was a different, different dynamic. But Charles Allen was very famous and, 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 and he would and he would, if he if he was preaching away and everybody was kind of drifting, it wasn't working, he'd just stop and he'd say, let me tell you a story I heard. And it'd be a joke and it'd be insane and it would have nothing to do with anything. And everybody would start laughing and, you know, make and, and maybe even calling, you know, cat calling, saying, come on, Charles. And then he'd say, OK, I have your attention. Now let's go on. <laughs> uh, it takes a lot of security to do that. But I like, I like humor uh, partly because if I'm listening to you and you can make me laugh, and it's a genuine laugh, uh, there's a sense in which you know my life. You, you, you are tracking with me. Um, by the way, going back to just the sharing of uh, testimonies of our own personal stories, I know uh, there is um, I, I know of at least a couple of uh, churches that on Easter Sunday and these are large um, younger congregations and I've never had the nerve to do this but I think it could be quite compelling uh, the, the pastor will preach and preach and preach like crazy all the way but on Easter Sunday uh, he never preaches the sermon is done of Witnesses, and they bring up one person after another, talking about how Christ has moved in my life, and uh, and it has to be very carefully done. They have to get the right witnesses. They have to practice, you know, that whole thing. But they say it's um, it, it's very compelling. It's very powerful because it gets you thinking about Christ in your life.
1: Is yes, there a ma'am? pattern to? How you use the stories in your sermon, are they generally at the beginning,
0: at the end, or is it just random depending on the circumstance? Thank you. There is for me. I think Meredith has more variety than I do. Um, I have a hunch that her variety is driven as much by how much sleep her kids let her get as uh, intention, no, no Meredith is, is very creative and she's very smart and we, we like listening. Y'all, y'all have one of the best preachers in the city here, if not the best. Um, but we, um, uh, I'll even teach young preachers how to do it and I'll say, look, it, it's silly, it's a formula, but if you do this, they will listen and they'll your preaching will start connecting. Do you have an introduction? and that may or may not include a story, but it's something that gets attention. Uh, and then you are gonna make several points. Make your point, put in a scripture, give a story to illustrate. And then when you get, as you move toward the close, that doesn't have to have a, a separate story, but it needs to have some sort of Feeling. And what's fun about that structure is that most people cannot remember a 20 to 25 minute sermon. Everybody can remember five components. The introduction, first point, second point, third, each one of them has its own, has a similar structure. And then a close. And then all of a sudden, I'm just remembering five things, and I've got them. I've got them noted down. So okay, here's the second point, point. and I remember those. I, I can I, I could outline one of my sermons in a um, half piece paper, and I'll preach thirty it's minutes a on it. Yeah, it's a three point structure. It's very simple. There's something about the three that people do remember. Steve Martin waxed eloquent on numbers. He said, he said, for everybody, he said there is a structure to stand-up comedy. And he said three undergirds a lot of it because there's something about the Western mind that, that thinks in threes. He also said that he plays with numbers. He said seven is a lot funnier than four. I never thought of that, you know. He, he, but but Martin has made a lot of money doing what he does, and he said seven is a lot funnier than four. And so he'll play with 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 the words and the way they the way they the way they work. Um, Mom,
1: you know, yes. Well, an alternate structure which you have used a lot yeah. is to take a story from scripture, or and uh, uh, that tease out three points. Uh, from the story itself, and that way the story stitches everything together. It's a big problem for a lot of people who are trying to write sermons, is that when they shoot it's like a shotgun, or well, what you need is a rifle. You need to have it all, and uh, having, going back to the same... Can you tell me difference between a shotgun and a rifle real quick? <clears throat> I don't, you sorry. don't... Uh, <laughs> A shotgun scatters, yeah, it's got lots of pellets and they scatter, they scatter all over, a rifle is a single bullet and it makes one hole in the
0: intended target. Actually, yeah, let's piggyback on that. Tonight, I'm firing a shotgun. I'm just giving a lot of ideas. I know I start feeling the excitement in the sermon when I realize this is the point I want to make. Not always, and I and everything then works around that point. That's where we want to go.
1: But she one of the honest, things about you, <laughs> the point out of the sermon is that you can use the, out of the story, is that you can use them to stitch your sermon to, into a, a hole so that it doesn't feel like it's a shotgun. It the, feels more like it's. Uh, most most. On a certain
0: point. Most of the young pastors that I've I've, I've worked with, and, and i our it on my staff, and we've helped them start off shooting shotguns. Really cool, great one-liners uh, or points. Uh, had one. He's very effective now. He's grown up. He's done great. Meredith may remember Mark Welsheimer. I know he preached a 27 point sermon. I mean, you know, in fact, we just got completely lost in what he was saying the first sermon he preached at downtown. And, and, and people in the congregation were going like this. And, um, and we had to go back and hear it on tape. To try to count all the points he was making, it was just kind of um, uh, so you you find a unifying principle and the three points is simple and actually a lot of the power of the three points may be that it's it's easier for the speaker to remember. Whatever whatever works. It's
1: easier to memorize a sermon when you have those points because it's like a <coughs> line in your
0: head and you can work from that point. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, it, it, the, the, if I were if I were teaching young pastors, I would say uh, um, uh, you're going to preach a sermon on forgiveness. Uh, 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 you start something just to connect with people. Friends, I was up. I, I, I was at HEB yesterday. I was tired, I needed to go by, my wife had called, and she needed a few things, and somebody cut me off. And they took my parking place. And about that time, the Christian radio station I was listening to came on with a song about how we need to forgive everybody. And you know what I did? I turned that station off. I don't know how you want to do it. But all of a sudden, everybody's identifying. And they say, no, and then you go on and say, all right, Bible says we ought to forgive. I don't know about you. A lot of times I don't want to forgive. And they don't deserve forgiveness. And I'm mad. What do we do with that? I'm oversimplifying. I would work on it a lot harder. That was a weak opening. But then then you look at it, here are different things to remember about this that can help you as you work your way through it. And with each point, you make a point. First thing to remember is how much you've been forgiven. Um, and then quote something from Romans about how we have been forgiven in Christ. And you know, that makes a difference, doesn't it? I'll never forget when I was, I first came to the altar and I realized that I was washed clean. Whatever you want to do. Then there's a the second one. Remember, remember that if I don't forgive, it just eats away at me like poison. And there'll be a scripture you can re- bring, bring in there. And see, the scriptures are nice because they leave it, they, they, they give it weight. And, and they drive people back to the word. Uh, you'll have, I've, I've had a lot of people that will, they'll, take, they'll just write down the scriptures and then that becomes their Bible study for the week. Um, and then a third one whatever the point might be and that will um, be more powerful that'll be the most powerful point that will have the most um, in the heart about the scripture and that'll be the um, uh, you know just off the top of my head uh, Corey Ten Bloom Uh uh, the becoming you know, this great Christian ambassador after World War II, she'd been through so much, and then she, uh, and then she, uh, she was preaching, and and people were coming to Christ, and it, this is in Europe following World War II, and then this big blonde German came out through the line, and he put his hand out to shake hers, and he said, "That was so wonderful. Thank you." I gave my heart to Christ today and she recognized in him the prison guard who had sent her sister to be executed. And she described in detail, and if I were telling this, I would tell what it was like to face it and have people waiting and look at everybody's waiting in the line, here you are, our Christian leader, and you've just been talking about forgiveness. and and she's just staring at this man. And then she felt God saying here I would have to look it up to make sure I get the words right. Um uh, if this is an act of the
1: will. If I lift my hand, you will do the rest. What she said. She's preached this. no, I you know no, I went back and read the original story <coughs> it, But she said, I remembered that, I remembered we have to forgive and i finally prayed father if i lift my hand will you do the rest and so she lifted her hand and she felt her heart break and she said it felt like there was a light flowing all the way from her heart down her arm into him and then by the time they finished the handshake she was able to say i forgive you with all my heart
0: That's how you. End. And that's a good story though. Not the story. All the stories are going to be.
1: No, no, no. All, right, that, all the stories are going to be. Like- they, 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 <laughs> no, they,
0: they're, they're not. <laughs> uh, all right. Here's a, here's another. Uh, but there's another way of ending. That one makes the point with boom explosion. Another way of ending is a my my greatest. I love to preach this story on New Year's when everybody's made all these resolutions that they're going to break. Um, uh, I, 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 I preached on you know uh, uh, being nude, yada yada, yada, yada. and then um, then I end with a, a Soren Kierkegaard telling about a gambler, and the man was addicted to gambling, and he was and, and and he he made a vow he was he was never going to gamble again, and then he was invited to the dice table that night, and he said tonight last night I'm ever gonna gamble. I'm never gonna gamble after that. Kierkegaard said, that man will never break the habit. There was another man, gave his heart to Christ, said, I I never wanna gamble again, I've gotta quit. He was invited to the dice table. He said, Lord, I know that many times, many times in the future I will fail. Many times I will fall short. Many times I will gamble again and betray my wife and everybody else depending on me. But tonight, tonight I will not gamble. Kierkegaard says, that man will never gamble again. It's, um, uh, it, it, it leaves them kind of going, whoa, and thinking. Uh, so you, it, it, that's, that's less explosive, more thoughtful. I find I like to have something at the end with some emotion. Uh, because I'm feeling some emotion.
1: And collecting stories is helpful because you never know. through your file folder and you'll find the story in there. So let
0: me also say this.
1: So stories are my nemesis, which is why I don't tell as many of them as, as dad does. But and partly because I, I never built a file folder. Like I just don't I don't read that many things so I use stories when I find them but what I have also found, because I 100 percent agree that stories bring it home more than anything else, but what I have found is 99 percent of the time if I'm preaching on something and it is hitting home, I can usually find something in my life yes. that exemplifies that I can tell a story about myself. And there have been times where I, like, especially when I was being a young pastor, I spent hours Googling, and I was like super specific. I was like, story about person <laughs> overcoming addiction, Christianity, sermon illustration, right? And um and I never, I spent hours, hours, hours reading all these things in my life and never. So, um, but what I did, so what I decided to do is my time, spend my time racking my brain and my experience for what element of myself connects with that, and I that was far more fruitful for me. Which is why I talk about myself so much in my sermons, because I um, I just don't have as many as many external stories. So I've I got a question. Yeah. Do you
0: do you uh, how do you decide what you want to preach on? Do you wait for that excitement? we're putting some excitement on your heart? Something happens <coughs> during the week, or is this planned weeks ahead of time? How do you select your what you'd like to say? Let me let me answer, and then then Meredith can. Everybody's a little different. I um, I learned to plan out my preaching schedule three to five months at a time. And. and and as it went along, it became less solo and more me and the, and the worship team, the music people that, we, we kind of put the whole thing together. And a lot of my best ideas, um, uh, I was gonna do one on the Christmas story, the original Christmas story, and keep it chronological at Christmas time, and, uh, and which meant the wise men and the star come at Epiphany after Christmas. And our music director, <laughs> This is downtown, said, if you do that, I will hit you with a hammer. (laughs) You must not do that. He's rather passionate. (laughs) You must not do that. It's Christmas Eve. It's night. It's dark. You can show
1: pictures of the star in the sanctuary.
0: It was explosive. He was exactly right. We did, we did, said, hey, so what? They don't care. They don't care. And we we came back and we caught some part of the Christmas story the Sunday after. But it was uh, whatever part I was gonna do. But it was, um, uh, you know, it it was great. But I don't look for excitement when I'm planning it out. It's more like, uh, what does the congregation need? What are we, what's gonna connect with the congregation? What's gonna connect with the culture? What takes us through uh, the, the scripture? You know, um, uh, <clears throat> Meredith did a great series in Lent. She's got so you you look for uh, you, you, so that so that you have people interacting with the scripture as as much as a whole as, as much as possible, but also something that you will find interesting. If I'm not interested, I'm not gonna I'm gonna have to make it you interested. Um, and some of it is serendipity. I'd never. I never preached on just a person, one individual, other than Jesus, over time. And our children's department was after me to do something on uh, Old Testament figures. And um, I guess I did two months on David. And it just kept growing it just kept going, because this, David was cool. And you know, man, I, he, he, he could sin with the best of them. He could be faithful with the best of them. I mean, it was, a, um, I, I did a whole thing on friendship. I did like a two part thing on friendship with David. Uh, uh, I didn't see that one coming. That, that grew. Um, but I, but, but I, I like series because it gives me something to get going on. I'm going to do one. I'll try to think of the situation and what works in that situation. Some pastors just use the lectionary. And they, yes. That makes it really easy, especially if you're new to preaching. Sometimes that makes it easier for
1: them because it tells you what scripture to preach that day.
0: When I was much younger and we were building a university in San Antonio, I had a kind of a routine and uh, every week, I would read some sermons. I would read the New York Times book review. And um, and I had just a whole reading schedule. Um, the, then the
1: kids got older.
0: Then the kids got older, and I lost that. Uh, uh, but but uh, when I would have my time away to plan, I would read the lectionary for every Sunday. And that forced me to read the Scripture. I'm not... For me, preaching it didn't work because the lectionary um, uh, the thematic, it, it, it takes you through the scripture, doesn't always, the themes don't always hold together. Um, for the listener, it's sometimes hard to handle.
1: You have to be real educated to see what the theme is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, folks, it's eight oh three, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up real quick. I want to say a quick word um, first of all. Huge thank you to that for coming out. Um, thank you. <laughs> um, next, so starting next week, you guys should have gotten the link in your email. Starting next week, we're going to do our practice sermons, and so the next three weeks, after that we do practice sermons for each other. And I want to iterate a couple of things. First of all. If you want to meet with me anytime before, now, and whenever you practice your sermon and ask questions or have me look at it, I'm happy to do that. Um, if you like the kind of order we've been through is the first week was to make the content, the second week was structure. This is how do I put in stories. Next week is, is we start preaching. Um, second thing I want to reiterate is it can be whatever length you want it to be. So if you want to preach, a want to do like more of a five to ten minute devotional, that is fine. Whatever you have is is great and wonderful. Um, the third thing I want to say is well, how, well, how we're going to do this we're going to divide into groups and go into different rooms. Um, and the the rules are going to be after you preach, you're going to hear a positive feedback about what people heard that connected with them. Um, if you are in a preaching class in seminary, there will be a lot of constructive criticism. This is not going to be a space for constructive criticism. Um, we, are, we are only going to be sharing positive feedback. And so for those of you who are nervous about speaking, um, you are in probably the most supportive group that you are ever going to find in your entire life. And so um, if that helps you say something,
0: I, I hope that, I hope that you want to send me fear can um, Can I, can yeah. I, w- w- one thing, and that is, um, Bill Meal was my homiletics professor, preaching professor at Yale, and he, um, he, he said that at, at one church that they served, he had an acre of ground around the house. He said it killed him. He worked so hard on that and he could never make it look more than just kind of like, you know, half done. At the next church, the parsonage had a very small place. He said, they got flowers. They groomed the grass. It was beautiful. He said, the bigger the subject, the harder it's gonna be. Um, uh, and a a, a really... Uh, the, 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 if, if you're not sure about about you know what what you want to do, find a story in the New Testament that they've
1: got scriptures.
0: Oh, you've got scriptures got already. Scriptures. Never mind. Never mind.
1: They were they chose scripture the first week
0: and they didn't work. Well, so. then you got you got it covered. You got it covered. Starting with the Bible is never a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um.
1: Okay, we are going to have the recording of this online by tomorrow, Um, and we'll email it out. And um, please go ahead and send it for your sermon links. And it is okay to send it for the first week. You don't you don't have to wait until that second two weeks. Um, Let's let's pray though. Almighty God, we are so grateful. We're grateful for the scripture. We're grateful for the weeks we've shared. We're grateful for the weeks that are ahead of us. now we pray a blessing right now. We pray a blessing on all of those who are going deeper into the relationship with you and going deeper into your word. And we pray for all of the sermons that are being prepared. God, we pray that you would speak as we encounter you as you are revealed to us in the word of God. We pray that you would speak as these uh, disciples are practicing their sermons this week, and we pray that you would speak next week as we all come together to hear the proclaimed word of God from your servants. And we pray a blessing upon all of us gathered here, that you would keep us safe and attuned to your spirit as we go out into the evening. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.